like I can say this today in a different way than ever before because Patrick Blumendahl is joining us via live stream from Israel. So Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Um, Patrick, welcome. Uh, any, other, any other students there from Western Theological Seminary that are watching with you, uh, we pray that you're blessed by this and uh, that you being in the place and walking in the dust of our rabbi, we pray that these words are meaningful because you've just recently been or will soon be on the shores of the Sea of Galilee where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Also like to greet those from in Denver. Our, our Mexico mission team is watching live stream from the Denver airport. And uh, so I don't know who all is overhearing elsewhere around there, but if you're listening into this over someone's phone or iPad, we welcome you as well. And then all the other people that are joining us from all around the world. I don't know how this is happening, but it's kind of cool. Uh, and those of you who are live in person here, Welcome. My name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege, my honor, but also my mantle. A, there's a weight to it to proclaim to you this day what God has said to his people and what he wants to say again today. So I'm going to offer a prayer, and then we'll get to the Sermon on the Mount. We won't go through all of it. I'll explain why that is in just a moment. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you that you see yesterday, today, and tomorrow all like they're today. The past, the present, the future are all the same to you. But sometimes, because we're bound by time, sometimes the waiting is hard. Sometimes wondering on your timing is difficult. Lord, I know that people that were waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah to come, when you finally showed up, you didn't look like they were expecting, but you had some things to say. You had some things to do. And you loved your so people so much that you were willing to become one of us. Lord, as you speak to us today, remind us that this is not my message for them. It's your message for us. And if there's something I have planned to say that you don't want said, I don't want to say it. But Lord, if there's something you want said that I haven't thought of through your Holy Spirit, make it burn within me so that I know it's from you and I will speak your words to your people this day. Give us ears to hear what you want us to hear and eyes to see what you want us to see. Change us. In Jesus' name we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us through the glory of God our Father. Amen. Sermon on the Mount is very familiar. If you've never been to church, but you've heard things in weddings or people quoting scripture at a funeral or, or even just things that get thrown around, some of these things are so familiar, they become colloquial. They become just part of our, of our culture. And my, my initial hope that I could not realize this week was to find eight to 10 hours to memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Pastor Greg has a phenomenal ability to write the word of God on his heart and then memorize long sections. Three, four, five, ten verses. Uh, Psalm 23 is about the length of something that I can do quickly. I just did not find the, the what I want to do is stand up and preach the Sermon on the Mount as the Sermon on the Mount. Just to, just to go right through it and to talk to you the way I envision or I feel like Christ preached it the first time. Um, couldn't find that kind of time, but as studying and as uh, reading through it, as I'm praying through it, there's some things that, that kind of just push together. So we're going we're, we're gonna to walk through a significant piece of this in Matthew chapter 5, and then again in Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to ask you, uh, as followers of Christ, this is, this is big stuff. 
Um, we're not going to be talking about the stuff on divorce or the stuff on adultery. We're not going to be talking about a lot of the things that are in there. And it's not that I'm trying to shy away from them. In fact, if you know me, you know I'd probably rather do those things than, than, than the other. But this, think about it this way. Over the last couple of months, um, in particular, through Advent, we've been talking about God decided um, when he created humanity, he decided he wanted a walking, talking, knowing, and loving relationship with us and for us to have that with him. And we blew it, and he's, he's spent thousands of years trying to show us who he is and who he wants us to be. I will be your God. You will be my people. And he trained us into being a people, and we kept failing and then repenting and then failing and then repenting and failing and repenting. So it's this endless cycle of basically sin management. And he finally, he finally for such a time as the, the time was right, and he decided to not just be our God and us be his people, but he's going to be our God and become one of his people so that God walks with us. God talks with us. God loves us. God knows us. And according to the gospel of Matthew, one of the very first things that Jesus did, I and mean, we talked about his birth. We know the incarnation that God, God dwelt among us, that he took on skin. He became all that humanity is, fully divine, fully human, and in this miraculous birth, and then as he grows up, he's about 30 years old, and in the time for his public ministry is supposed to begin, and he shows up on the shore of the Jordan River. We talked about this last week, two weeks ago, um, shore, shore of the Jordan River, and the God of the universe himself, the Father God, descends and speaks and says, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. Listen to what he tells you. And then Jesus crossed the Jordan back out into the desert to relive Israel, to relive the temptations of Adam and Eve. And, and, he, and he stood firm. And he comes back and he begins to preach and he gathers up disciples and he starts to heal the sick. But his first public sermon, God shows up and this is what he wants to say. The first thing he tells us is what we know is the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there were individual things. There were small, small little gatherings of people. But there, on the sea, on the, on the hillside near the Sea of Galilee, he, hundreds and thou, or thousands of people. And God, God in skin, God with a bod, Jesus, stands up. Think about this, folks. The God of the universe becomes one of us. And the first things he wants to tell us are recorded in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you think it's possible, likely, that God said these things at the beginning of his ministry because he thought they were ancillary or because he thought they were primary. It seems to me that if you've got one shot with a group of people, even as a human to human, that if I got one shot, I'm going to tell you everything I want you to know and hope that you grab onto most of it. The God of the universe shows up with skin on, starts interacting with his people, has become one of his people. And one of his people is speaking, him as one of his people, speaking to his people. And this is what he says. So I want you to, I want to encourage you to read this. All of it from chapter 5, 6, and 7. It'll take about 20 minutes. 30 if you're really slow and you're really trying to digest it. I don't mean really slow like here. I mean if you, if you read through it slowly to digest it. Because God wanted us to know it. And we're going to pick some pieces. I'm going to read through it, but I'm going to ask you to have that kind of attitude today. What does God want to tell me? You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, you've heard people say it. 
But I'm telling you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. That's the governing body of the time. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Yeah. This is one of the first things God wants to tell us. He, 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 before this, he, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the hungry, uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then one that never gets recorded. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because God, because great is your reward in heaven. He says some wonderful things. He says some difficult things. And then he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't do murder. And by the way, in the Ten Commandments, the Hebrew word is you shall not do murder. It's not you shall not kill. And I'm not saying that we should go killing, but murder is, is, is the idea that you get so angry with someone or so frustrated with someone or so hurt by someone that you think ahead of time and decide that you're going to play God in their life and end their life, end their existence. And the only person on the planet, the only person in the universe that really has the authority to end someone else's life is God. And so it makes all the sense in the world. In fact, we, those of us who, who kind of fall into that, that cultural idea of spirituality that I'm, a, you know, I'm a good person, so God will let me into heaven. One of the things we do, I've never killed anybody. I've never murdered anybody. But Jesus says, that's, that's not what we're after. Yeah, don't do murder, but don't be angry. Don't, don't hold a grudge. Don't, don't look at another person who's wronged you and harbor something. And he says, if you call your brother raka, which means empty-headed, there's another word right next to it that moros, um, and that means moron. So if you think of another person and you talk to them and you believe yourself better than them, more intellectual than them, more capable than them, you'll be answerable. And if you look at someone and you say, you fool, or anything like that, danger of the fire of hell? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't like this. But why do you think God, and one of the first things he tells us when he shows up on the planet, he is the author of all the things that have been written before. He's the eternal word. Why do you think that one of the things he wants to tell us, don't do murder. In fact, don't stay angry. In fact, don't call someone dense, and don't think of someone more lowly than I think of them, says God. Why? I want to ask you if you believe that God has an attitude toward you, stupid, 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 or does he say, you're my child. I love you. I want what's best for you, and I have plans for you. See, the whole Sermon on the Mount is a way of God communicating to us that I want you to be transformed by the Holy Spirit of God to see people the way I see people. What if God, what if Jesus shows up and he's talking to a person who's messed up, the woman at the well, let's take her, or not the woman, that wouldn't work, but the woman caught in adultery. She's brought to the temple courts you imagine when they say, the law of Moses says that such a woman should be stoned. What do you say? And if Jesus went, kill her. You imagine that? 
If he looked at her and said, you, you loose woman, you imagine the kind of God that would be? What does he say? He says, any one of you who's never messed up, you throw the rock. And then he says to the woman, is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. Then I don't either. Just go and don't sin anymore. Why does God say, don't be angry? Don't think of someone as empty-headed. Don't speak negatively of other people. Because God wants us to see his children the way he sees his children. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of, a great, of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair black or white, though I wish I could. <laughs> Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the tempter, the accuser, the enemy of God, the evil one. We do this as children. I swear on my mother's grave or stick, stack, no take back, stick a needle in my eye, that all those kind of, okay, I'm old. Some of you know those things. Why do we need to do that? Why do we need to swear? Why do we need to, we're trying to convince people that we have more character than our life should just show that we have. See, this is a summary of the third commandment. Third commandment says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord your God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And somehow, some way, we've, we've gone religious on that and we've kind of made it about polite society. And so that if you were to say, oh my God, what a wonderful pass for the touchdown. Ooh. You really think that God is going to not for, hold me guiltless because I say, oh my God, what a wonderful. I don't think we should say JC or JD in anger. I don't. But not misusing the, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord your God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name, is about how we behave, where we go. Our yes is yes, our no is no. When I make vows, I made vows to my wife to forsake all others. So my yes must be yes. I promise to never seek companionship somewhere else. My no must be no. I will not. And you know what proves that I'm worthy of my word? My life, how I behave. And so if I have to swear by something else, if I have to, 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 to make someone believe me this time, then it means that I'm not representing God well all the other times. When he says, don't, 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 don't swear to people and don't make oaths even to God. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. It's, a, it's integrity. Do what you say you're going to do because that represents the name of Christ. If you claim to love your enemy, which we'll talk about in a minute, then love your enemy. Because anything beyond living what you say you believe comes from the evil one. And if we think that we need more than that, we think that we don't represent, that, that representing God isn't just, isn't what God expects of us then we're telling God that the bond we have is something other than that he says the bond that we need. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. The, the third commandment isn't about JCGD. It's about living 
in a way that represents the name of God. Because not only does he, is his name on our jersey, he lives right here. So anywhere you go, he goes. Anything you say, he says. Breaking the third commandment is doing evil in the name of God. There is nothing worse than claiming that God, who's loving and merciful, is hateful and violent. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn him the other one. And if someone wants you to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You probably know this already, but the Greco-Roman Empire, one of the things, they, they did it with slave labor, so I'm not trying to say that that part is great, but one of the things that they did, more so than any other civilization prior to that, is infrastructure, aqueducts and paved roads. And on those paved roads, um, they, mile markers, some of them still exist. And the way that a soldier, when they're traveling from one place to another throughout the empire, um, the law was that if a Roman soldier comes up to you and says, carry my shield, spear, sword, pack, you were legally obligated to go one mile. They, couldn't, they weren't supposed to force you to go beyond that. And Jesus is saying, even your oppressors, even those who occupy your country that God has given you, even if someone like that forces you to go one mile, you go one more. Why? If someone slaps you upside the head, I want to slap them back. If someone says something wrong or harsh to you, don't you want to say something wrong or harsh back to them? I mean, my mind works pretty good. And there are times when people say something to me and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I could ruin you. I got some things to say. Some of them are Christian. Someone's going to get that in a minute. But I don't get to do that. Not because I'm a minister of the word and sacrament of the Reformed Church in America, although that's part of it. I made some vows when I, when I, when I took those oaths. And there, that means there are some things I can't do, some things I can't say, and some things I'll never have. Okay. But you're the same. You're a child of God. You're an heir to the throne of Christ. And because of that, you're an agent of the Lord. And what you say, it's as if he said it. What you do, it's as if he did it. So if someone slaps you upside the head, what would Jesus do? He'd say, Father, forgive them, and they don't know what they're doing. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Love your enemies, or hate your enemies, love your brothers. That No, Jesus turns it upside down. Because my father acts like this, he loves those who hate him. They're 
History is full of people that hate God and he continues to allow blessing to fall on them. These are wonderful Christian colloquial sayings until you have an enemy. Until you have someone who wants, who's actively trying to do you harm. So let me ask you this. When someone does you harm, when someone perceive, someone is acting as if they're your enemy, when's the last time you prayed for them? Not prayed for them, Lord, please help them stop. Lord, please help their mind open up and so that they can see their evil ways so that they can turn and, and, be, and, and be nice to me now. But when, when's the last time, if you are to pray for those who persecute you, when someone's wanting to do you harm, when's the last time, honestly, that you ask God to bless them? to shower his mercy and grace upon them, to give them abundant wealth. See, this is what God wants us to hear. Because this is how God is. And the reason he tells us this stuff is because he wants his people to be this. So when someone betrays me, hurts me, hates me, I've learned over the years, and it is oh so hard. But the only person, when I harbor that grudge, if I say angry with them, if I say things about them, if I, if I just want, oh, I want them to hurt because they hurt me, the only person that suffers while that's going on is me. So they hurt me. I hang on to that hurt, and I want hurt to come to them. And what I'm doing is they're now controlling how I see my life, how I treat other people, and how I view my God. So this person who I'm so upset that they hurt me and they did something wrong to me, I'm letting them hurt me over and over and over and over and over again, and they don't even know it. Why does Jesus say love your enemy? Because you're going to have them. God has enemies. Why does he say pray for those who persecute you? Because the prayer changes you. Anthony Hopkins as C.S. Lewis in the movie Shadowlands. Anthony Hopkins is praying for his wife. She's got cancer. Praying for, praying for his wife. And she goes into remission for a while. And one of the professors at the school that C.S. Lewis taught. And this is in a movie. I don't know if C.S. Lewis actually said this or not. But Anthony Hopkins as C.S. Lewis said it. It's a phenomenal statement. Oh, God has heard your prayer. He's changed his mind. And C.S. Lewis in the movie looks up and says, prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. Why should you pray for your enemy and pray for those who persecute you? So that you will become more like God. This is hard. But it's what God wanted to tell us. One of the first things he wanted to say when he took on skin. Think about it when you're watching the television. You might not have an enemy, but the culture is kind of an enemy to us. They think we're raka. They think we're empty-headed. That we're people that are just dense enough to not see all the evidence of certain things and not think the way they do. And so they think we're angry and judgmental and foolish. And when you see that on a television show or you hear that from a politician or you see that from a particular news channel, do you take offense? 
Or do you ask God to reveal himself to them and shower them with grace and mercy? If we walk around offended, we don't trust our God very much. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Everything that Christ, as the eternal word with the Father and the Spirit, everything that they said to us to the thousands of years from Genesis right up to the end of Malachi, he just summed up with this. Do to others what you would have them do to you. So why does he say to love your enemy? Because if someone else sees you as their enemy, how do you want them to be treating you? When he says pray for those who persecute you, if you were persecuting someone else, how do you want them responding to you? If, you, if someone else were angry with you, How would you want them to respond? To pray, to seek out, to, to try to reconcile? All of this stuff matters. All of it. Otherwise, when Jesus comes, if all that other stuff was to be thrown out, he would have said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed, 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 blessed. You're all good. But he went on for 20 minutes telling us about murder and judging and divorce and adultery and praying it all matters, but here's the beauty. So much of life before Christ was sin management. We messed up, we're separate from God, let's kill something so that we don't have to die, so that God will be right with us. But then Jesus enters the world. And it's no longer, folks, about sin management, although we kind of try to make it that way. I'm a sinner, Jesus saved me from my sin. End of story. I just have to try to sin a little less. That is not why he came. He gave you the capacity, the power, and the person of the Holy Spirit that no longer lives in, in, in fire or in a cloud or of smoke or, or, or in a temple in the Holy of Holies. He now lives between two lungs. The Holy Spirit of God takes up resonance in you. And every time you return evil with kindness... Every time you love your enemy, every time you pray for someone who persecutes you, every time you decide, I'm going to let my yes be my yes and my no, no. Every time you decide to forgive them, Lord, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. You're becoming more and more like him. You're becoming a child of the king of heaven. You're becoming like your brother, Christ. So if this is just about getting sin under control, then we're failing. It's about being transformed, being renewed, understanding that, that the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus came, he died for our sins, and he resurrected, so he beat death. That's cool, but where did he go? He ascended to the Father, and then he sent what? The Holy Spirit to live within me, to live within you, 
to make me wholeheartedly willing and able to live for him. This all matters. And this isn't a guilt thing. It's a let's, let's just, as, as people of God, let's just decide it's not just about not doing bad. It's about becoming the person and the people that God created us to be. If I am his ambassador, if I make policy on God's behalf, as you do, we are ambassadors for Christ, then I'm going to need to cooperate with the spirit working in me to behave toward others the way Jesus behaved toward others. I'm going to have to get to the point or work toward the point that, that I say when someone harms me or says God-awful things about me or hates me, spills malicious, spreads malicious things about me or you, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. See, the reason we're told to ask, to seek, to knock is because all the power, all the ability, all everything you need to be able to live the way Jesus did is a knock, an ask, or a step towards seeking a way. If you ask me, I'll give it to you. I'm not going to give you a snake. I'm going to give you a stone so that you can treat someone else the way you would have them treat you. We say this to our children, do unto others as you would, as you would have them do unto you. But really what it is, folks, is do to others what God does to you. Recognizing that the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive you, to wipe away your sin against God and others, but that means it's sufficient to forgive other sins against you. And I'm going to tell you, as a, as, a, as, a, as a man, as a pastor, the hardest thing in the Christian walk for me is when someone says awful things about me. To pray for them, to love them, and to return evil with kindness. But if God doesn't think he means it, then he wouldn't have said it when he showed up with skin on. The world thinks we're weak. But mercy is always more powerful than vengeance. And grace always wipes away violence. Maybe not in the moment. But we will not win the world for Christ by either being judgmental or angry or fearful or hateful. Christ won you to himself through his kindness and mercy and grace. Just like the devil hasn't changed his tactics, neither has God. So folks, it all matters. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he says, treat others the way you would have them treat you. Unbelievably simple. A lifetime of obedience necessary. But the beauty is, it's not up to you. It's up to the Spirit of God living in you. So let's try to be people individually and people as a whole that show others how great our God is by the strength of character to love them even when they hate us. Let's pray.
Almighty God, we're going to stand up and sing. And we're going to praise your name. And then we're going to go out there and someone's going to do something wrong. Someone's going to treat us poorly. Someone's going to say something about us. Someone's going to accuse us of something. Or someone's going to suspect us of something. Lord, give us the courage and manifest the power of your Holy Spirit within us so that we can see someone who, who's hurting and someone who's trying to hurt us the way you see them. So that we can say, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And then we're going to try to shower them with blessing. Make us that kind of people, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. This whole service pointed to the same thing. When Susie was introducing the song, Chainbreaker, what would she say? If you're struggling with this or this or this and you just can't seem to get out of it, there's one who can. It's not about sin management. I'm not saying that we should go sin, but that, if we get stuck there, if that's all it is, then, then we can't forgive someone who harms us. We can't turn the other cheek. We can't go the extra mile. We can't love those who persecute it. We can't. But if God can, and he lives in me, then I can. He can make me more like him and less like me. So we choose to, to, to cooperate with him, to say, yes, Lord, and to try it his way, because we will end up blessed and we will end up blessing even those who don't believe there's such a thing as God. So let us be a people who says, yes, Lord, and who does what he said was most important. Treat others the way we would have them treat us. The Lord has done this already, but a reminder, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you, smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.